Friday evening, uh, July 8th, at 22.30, my father died. And in God's gracious providence, He allowed me to be with Him at that moment. My mother and I were with my father, and he slipped away quietly as he simply stopped breathing. My very first thought was that he was free. And that was what I said to my mom. She inquired. She said, is he gone? And I said, yes, mom, he's free. Dad is free. I had watched him struggle in the last days of his life to simply breathe. And that last day was extremely difficult for my dad. But I thought it was interesting that that thought came into my mind that he was free. And it made me think of that last verse of Chris Rice's song, which I know that probably most of you have heard, Come to Jesus. How many of you know this song? I love this song. In fact, I kind of wanted Mom to play it at the funeral, but this is not Mom's kind of song. So obviously I wanted to respect her wishes. So, Come to Jesus is part of my introduction tonight, so I want you to listen as I play the song. Particularly the last verse is the verse that uh, um, was on my heart and my mind the moment that my, my father died. So enjoy this song with me. Let's worship Jesus as we hear this together.
Unexpectedly, I, I have some re- residual emotion about these last days. But don't you love that last verse? And with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. Then go in peace and laugh on glory's side. And fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and live. And this is, this is what was in my heart and my mind um, as my father died. And beloved, I know you know, these words are no myth. They are no fairy tale. They are the reality for every born-again lover of Christ. They are Reality, to die is infinite gain. Infinite gain. The real Christian understands, understands this, that to die is gain. We understand that what Paul is saying when he says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get that. We understand what Paul is talking about when he says, and we've made much of this in our church, that he's hard-pressed. He's hard-pressed. It's very much better to be with Jesus than to be here. It would be very much better to be with Jesus. And I know for my dad, it's very much better to be with Jesus. We understand the words of Paul. And when I meditate on the fact that my dad is standing in his presence this very moment, gazing upon the inexpressible beauty of his face, and shining that beauty back to Jesus Christ, as Matthew 13 says, that we will shine like the sun. And when I contemplate this, it takes my breath away that my dad is there. It takes my breath away. And it takes my breath away that I will soon join him there. Amen? And we will love Jesus and worship Jesus with all our hearts for a billion eternities. You know the song, I can only imagine, right? I can only imagine. And for those of you who have departed loved ones who were in Christ, we can only imagine, is my dad dancing before Jesus? Or in awe, is he still? Is dad standing in his presence or to his knees? Has he fallen? Is my dad singing hallelujah or is he able to speak at all? I can only imagine, right? We can only imagine what it would be like to be in the glorious presence of the living God. I told many people while I was home that my dad had a good life and he did have a good life. But Friday evening, July 8th at 22.30, it got infinitely better. It got infinitely better. I love how D.L. Moody said it. 
He said, one day you're going to pick up the paper and read that I am dead. He said, don't you believe it. I will be more alive at that moment than I have ever been. Amen? The Lord has defeated death. He has defeated the grave. I reminded those at my dad's funeral as I preached that service that dad is not lying in the box <laughs> right now. He is joyously drinking up the beauty of Jesus. Just drinking up the glory of Jesus. And He will be doing this for a billion eternities. Peter Pan nailed it, and I've shared this with you before. Gary knows what Peter Pan said. Do you remember what Peter Pan said, Gary? I, know, I remember you giving me a hard time for quoting Peter Pan one time. Who knows what Peter Pan said? Peter Pan said to die would be an awfully big adventure. So my dad's adventure has just begun and he will spend eternity loving Jesus, serving Jesus, honoring Jesus with his worship and his service in the new heaven and in the new earth. My dad has only just begun to taste the words that David wrote, those words of praise that David wrote about the Lord. You remember the great, the great Scripture. David writes, In thy presence is fullness of joy, and in thy right hand are pleasures forever. Because all of these things are true, Christians know what to do when we must grieve and when we must cry. We know what to do. We know exactly what to do. We, we understand Job's reflective response in the face of death, Christians worship. In the face of death, Christians worship. Real Christians worship. I'm not saying that we don't mourn and we don't grieve. Of course we do these things. But preeminently, we worship our God who has defeated death and has defeated the grave. Job is right. He fell to the ground and he worshiped God rightly proclaiming, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Real Christians worship because our God reigns. Our God reigns in the face of death. Our God reigns in the face of death. He has defeated the grave. And at my father's funeral as I preached, I told the people that on that day I had to shout, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, vic oh, 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 death, where is your victory? I'll get it right in a minute. Oh, death, where is your victory? My God has defeated you. My God has defeated you. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Since my father's death, I've been worshiping this awesome God who has defeated sin and death and judgment and hell for His people. And I just want to, tonight, I just want us to think about our great God. And that's why I want to take a look at uh, Psalm 99. It's been on my heart and my mind uh, since my father died. And I, I can rejoice and I can give thanks because my God reigns. My God reigns in the face of death, in the face of the coffin, in the face of the funeral parlor, in the face of the grave. My God reigns. 
And I have joy. I told the people as I preached the service, I said, forgive me if the tears of, of, of joy and, and the tears of love and the tears of grief spill out, but principally they are the tears of joy for my dad. He's in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, he wouldn't come back if he could. <laughs> he wouldn't come back if he could. Uh, he wouldn't do that. So tonight, I just want us to worship the Lord. Psalm 99, 1-3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise Thy great and awesome name. Holy is He. You know, if you're a Christian tonight, I mean a real one, I'm not talking about in name only, I'm not talking about culturally, I'm talking about you're one of those born again believers, you're hopelessly in love with Jesus, and you just want to give your life away more and more and more and more to Him. Now that's who I'm talking to tonight. You understand Psalm 99. You understand Psalm 99. And, and if you understand it, you understand Daniel 11.32. I love that great text. Man, if you can in good conscience and with all integrity uh, pray the Psalm of 99, 1-3 to the Lord, then you, you can live Daniel eleven thirty two. You remember the great text. The people that do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Right? If we believe our God is the God of Psalm 99, 1-3, we won't be cowardly in the world. We won't shrink back in the world. We'll proclaim the greatness of our God. The people who know Jesus Christ, they're a strong people, even in the face of death. The people who know Jesus Christ are fearless people, even in the face of death. So tonight I want to be reminded of how awesome our God is. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. The awesome, fearsome, consuming fire God of the Bible is unapologetic. He is God and no one else is. I know this is a, one of my favorite things to say to you. And what I'm about to say to you, I work in at least four or five times a year in a sermon somewhere. But you know the great litany of what God says about Himself. Through the prophet Isaiah, King Jesus says through His prophet, to whom then will you liken Me? To whom then will you liken Me that I should be His equal? I am God and there is none who can deliver out of My hand. I act and who can reverse it? I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides Me there is no God. Before Me there was no God and there will be none after Me. There is no Savior besides Me. I am God and there is no one like Me. The nations are nothing before Me. I sit above the vault of the earth. I am the everlasting God. There is no other. I am the first and the last. There is no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all My good pleasure and in in eternity past, it pleased God to set His affections upon my dad. And my great God, my great warrior shepherd, God saved my father from his sins, from judgment, and from hell. And He has saved all of His people utterly and completely and eternally from that which we so richly deserve. 
He is the eternal, infinite God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the uncreated, Creator God. He is the One who effortlessly spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. Just raw, incomprehensible power. He is the omnipotent God and He upholds those galaxies by the Word of His power. He is the awesome God of Mount Sinai. Scripture tells us that in lightning and thunder and blazing fire and darkness and gloom and thick smoke engulfed the quaking mountain as awesome God came down and Moses and the people were full of fear and trembling. Daniel, Isaiah, and John were granted a vision of this great God. Isaiah, pardon me, Daniel tells us his throne was ablaze with flames and a river of fire was flowing out before the Lord and thousands upon thousands were attending Him and myriads upon myriads were standing before Him. Isaiah tells us the Lord was high and lifted up on His throne and the train of His robe filled the temple and the seraphim called out to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. John tells us that his eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And his face was like the, the sun shining in its strength. The Bible tells us that the kings and great men of the earth will cry out to the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of this awesome God. Our God is, as the song says, the indescribable, incomparable, untamable. God, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. We understand what the Bible is communicating when it tells us that God reigns. It's simply saying, it's a word that we use most often uh, in the modern vernacular. God is sovereign. That's what it means. That's what it means that God reigns. He is sovereign. He is absolute, uncontested, in infinite power and authority. He has no peer. He has no colleague. He has no equal. He is not only El Shaddai in name, He is El Shaddai in fact. He does all that He pleases in heaven and earth. Just a few Scriptures. Daniel 4.35 God does according to His will in heaven and in earth. No man can stay His hand. I love that great verse in Isaiah. Who can turn back the outstretched hand of God? Who can do it? No one can do it. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth. 1 Timothy 6.15 and 16 He is the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and You exalt Yourself as head over all. I love how A.W. Pink says it. He says, to speak of God's sovereignty is simply to speak of His Godhood. Our God reigns. Let the peoples... Tremble. It's the challenge of 
Uh, it's a challenge of God to His people in Hebrews 11.6. We must not only believe that He is, we must believe that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. This is an explicit appeal to God's reigning sovereignty. Listen, beloved, He can't promise anyone a reward unless He reigns. And because He reigns, He promises His people a reward and He'll keep that promise because He reigns. No one can contest Him. No one can challenge Him. No one can stop the outstretched arm of the Lord. No one can stay His hand. Beloved, you can live a radical Christian life because your God is God and your God reigns. Your God is sovereign. So don't insult Him with lukewarm Christianity. Don't insult Him with that. Don't insult Him with living like the world Monday through Saturday and attending church on Sunday and nodding your head. Don't insult this great God. He expects His people to believe He's a reigning God and then to live like He's a reigning God. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself even as I preach to you. Let's not insult this great God by living our faith small. Let's not insult Him. He is the reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. Our reward is a done deal because He is who He is. And I want to say to you, beloved, this is a big deal to God. God means for you to live like He's a rewarding God. God means for you to live like He is a reigning God. This really delineates biblical Christianity from all the false Christianity that is so prevalent in this country and around the world. False Christianity says it believes, but it never lives like it believes. Biblical Christianity believes and then it lives like it. That's what we're talking about in Hebrews 11 right now. God says, this is faith. My people give themselves away to Me. And you can see it in their life. You can see it in their life. You see it in how they live. The deeds they do. My people are fearless. They do exploits because I'm an awesome God. <laughs> this is the Word of the Lord. So, to what degree is God sovereign? Well, I'll say it the best way. I'm going to summarize it the best way I can. He governs the courses of the 400 plus billion galaxies and He governs the courses of the neutron within the single cell. And you're in there in the middle. <laughs> God is sovereign over all things. Over all things. And I could multiply numerous scriptural evidences of God's sovereignty, but let me just give you a few. His sovereignty over the created order. The beasts obeyed God as they came to Noah. The rains obeyed God in Genesis 7 in the flood. The frogs and lice and flies and locusts obeyed God in the judgments of Egypt. The microbes of disease of man and beast obeyed God as God judged Pharaoh. The waters of the Red Sea obeyed God as He saved His people. The earth and sun obeyed God standing still that Joshua might get the victory. The wind and the waves of the storm obeyed the simple and soft command of Jesus to be still. 
Blindness and deafness and leprosy and paralysis and even death obeyed Jesus. Jesus said it to the first century here in a way that they could understand. They didn't know about the 400 billion galaxies. They didn't know about the neutron within the single cell. But Jesus said to them, not even a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of My Father. God is sovereign in all things, beloved. This is not only true of frogs and flies and asteroids and microbes. This, this is true in, 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 in the life of man. Acts 17.28 For in Him we live and move and have our being. You know, men are so arrogant before the Lord. Men, men seem to think that, that they have a being within themselves. If we understand the Bible, we understand that our being is only derived from Him. Our being is derived from I am. We have no being. If God does not will for Jim Albright to be, Jim Albright would cease to be. I only have being because He has ordained it to be so. He's willing that I exist. That is why I exist. If God were to choose to uh, will that I didn't exist, I would, I would fall to the ground immediately. Who among you can control your own heartbeat? Who among you can generate one more brainwave? Beloved, we are way too arrogant before this great God. And men at large are arrogant and haughty before Him. We only have existence because He wills it. In Him, we live and move and have our being. God is unapologetic in 1 Samuel 2.6. God says, and I told the folks at the funeral, God is sovereign in this. God says, I kill and I make alive. This is God's prerogative. This is, this is what God does. It's His divine prerogative. He's the giver of life and He takes life. He has ordained our days. He has numbered them, Scripture tells us. You're not going to die, beloved. You're not going to die one second sooner than God has ordained in eternity past. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be a Hebrews 11 Christian. Be a Hebrews 11 Christian. This reality of God's sovereign prerogative in life, is a, it's a terror to the unregenerate heart. But to the true believer, it is a great joy. <laughs> it is a great comfort and a great joy. Of course, we understand God is sovereign over the good angels. We also understand if we read our Bibles that God is sovereign over the fallen angels or the demons. Just simply read the Gospels. You understand that each, each encounter with a demon, they immediately obeyed the, the word and command of Jesus. That's part of what the psalm says here. He is enthroned above the cherubim. He's greater than the angels. Right? Look at verse 2. He is exalted above all peoples. He is greater than all the peoples. We've seen that God is sovereign over every aspect of creation from microbes to galaxies and from frogs to Satan. But what about man? What about man? And that's, what, that's what the Bible, one of the things the Bible is addressing here in Psalm 99-2. He is exalted above all the peoples. There's a great heresy in the, in the modern church. Some of you are aware of it. It's called open theism. It basically asserts that man's will trumps God's will. That man is, is a little amateur sovereign and his free will trumps the ultimate and divine will of God. Beloved, this is heresy. This is heresy. It's rank apostasy. 
It's rank apostasy. What do the Scriptures say? Proverbs 16.1 The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from God. Proverbs 16.9 The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Proverbs 21.1 I've always loved this one. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. God turns it whichever way He wishes. Beloved, God is sovereign in the heart of man. God is sovereign. He reigns. He reigns. The Scriptures are clear. If we profess to be Bible believers, we must affirm God's sovereignty extends to the heart of man. The Bible tells us that God can and does judicially harden rebellious hearts. God, uh, the Bible tells us that God can and does open the sinner's heart to respond to Him. God righteously hardens the hearts of men unto judgment. Exodus, Isaiah, John, and Romans. If you want the text, come ask me. God graciously opens the hearts of men unto salvation. Ezekiel, John, Acts, Romans, Ephesians, Titus. While many in the modern church reject and even recoil at these assertions, the Bible affirms it. The Bible affirms that God reigns in the heart of man. I thought we'd spend just a minute, we turn over to that great text, the text that's most likely never to be preached in the modern church, Romans chapter 9. You can turn with me if you like, Romans chapter 9, just for a few minutes. Romans chapter 9, with unapologetic sovereignty, God says, Romans chapter 9, verse 15 and following, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So then He has mercy on whom He desires, and He hardens whom He desires. Now the Holy Spirit knows that you're going to hate that. The fallen man's going to hate it. That God's sovereign in salvation. The Holy Spirit knows it. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse that he has Paul write. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Look how Paul continues. Verses 20 to 23. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And He did so in order that He might make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. Man, I've learned, I've taught this many, many times and I've preached this, uh, not as many, but some. 
And I've learned when I, when I preach about the, the, the high sovereignty of God in the heart of man, it's important to remind us you know, that we're dust in the wind, right? That we're, we're simply dust in the wind. It's important to, re, to remember who, who we are as believers and how we're supposed to receive the Word of God. So I always share this great text, Isaiah 66, 2. God says, To this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Beloved, sometimes God says some things in the Scripture that seems mysterious. It seems counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like the God that I was taught in vacation Bible school or Sunday school. And it troubles us sometimes. But God says, hey, be humble, be contrite, and if you need to, tremble. This is the God of Scripture. Sometimes God's people, just, we, we, just need to, we just need to shut up. You know, we just need to receive the Word. We just need to shut up. We just need to lay on our face. And we need to tremble and worship this awesome God. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. This is our God. This is our great God. And real Christians respond to God's Word even when it's mysterious, even when it's hard, even when we don't fully understand it. We respond like Isaiah 66 to we are humble, we are contrite, and if we need to, we prostrate ourselves and we tremble. Beloved, some of you have come through churches and you'll leave here and you'll go to some other church. And you've sat in churches where God is presented as some kind of pathetic, frustrated, stymie, thwarted deity. Beloved, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. He is the awesome, fearsome, consuming fire, sovereign God of the Bible. He is I Am who declares the end from the beginning. He is El Shaddai who will accomplish all His good pleasure. He is Jesus Christ. He is King Jesus before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Even the damned will confess that He is Lord. And He is God. He is the great reigning God of heaven and earth. Let the people tremble. Let the earth Shake. 23 days ago, I preached my father's funeral. And I'll say to you, although I do have times of emotion, the emotion is rejoicing. The emotion is joy. My great God has saved my father. He has saved my father from his sin. He has saved my father from death. He has saved my father from the grave. He has saved my father from judgment. He has saved my father from hell. So I, I, I am rejoicing because my God reigns. My God reigns over death. My God reigns over the grave. My God reigns over hell. And I am rejoicing because our God is God. He reigns. He's sovereign. He is almighty. He's a promise keeper. He's a warrior. He's a shepherd. He's the one who turns death into infinite gain. <laughs> he does that. Religion can't do that! 
Religion has never been able to do that. Religion can't do anything. Religion is a stench in the nostrils of God. But God saves His people. God saves His people. He has turned death into joy. He has turned death into infinite gain. He turns tears of sorrow into tears of inexpressible joy. He is our God. And every born-again lover of Jesus can sing with Chris Rice, kiss the world goodbye. <laughs> with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. Then go in peace and laugh on glory's side. And fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and live forever. Fly to Jesus and live forever. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. And He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise Thy great and awesome name. Holy is He. I want to close tonight. I want to listen to the song again. I want to listen to the song again. If you want to sing, you can sing. If you want to pray, pray. If you just want to meditate, if you just want to soak it up, we're going to sing this song again as we close. So let's do that. Why don't you stand? Hey, go, Karen. Come here.